3: Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It is lockdown Easter and it's eerily quiet out there on the streets of London today as Boris Johnson begins his recovery from a near-death experience last week. Yesterday he was allowed home from hospital and uh, he is currently recuperating at Chequers with his partner Carrie Simmons but the hatred and bile from the left continues. The health editor of The Economist Chris Lockwood even suggested that the Prime Minister had never actually been ill. Uh, He's now had to issue an apology uh, and a retraction. Apparently he says he made a mistake and as the media narrative about PPE changes thanks to several reality checks over the weekend. Some people are still attempting to make political capital out of the NHS staff. The BBC on Sunday morning could barely contain their disappointment after interviewing a doctor and two nurses who all said that protection for them was not an issue and never had been. The truth of the matter is that the supply and demand is not dovetailing in every single location of the health business. But the narrative that is being pumped out by the health unions like the BMA and the Royal College of Nursing is one thing only, political propaganda. No one in their right mind would expect NHS workers to put their lives at risk and it's now time to stop feeding the beast that suggests the government doesn't care. As Boris Johnson said yesterday, he is indebted to the NHS for saving his life. We'll get the latest from the front lines coming up, uh, we'll be t- speaking to doctors, we'll be speaking uh, to all sorts of people throughout uh, the show. 0344. 499-1000 is the number. Also, we're going to have round two of my prize fight with the May on Sunday columnist Peter Hitchens. Peter was on last week bemoaning the restrictions on our liberty and questioning the coronavirus strategy coming out of Downing Street. We'll see if recent developments have done anything to change his mind. Also, we'll be touching upon the latest news coming out of Malibu uh, where Harry and Meghan are hold up feeling terribly sorry for themselves. Oh dear, uh, you know what I'm going to do next. 0344 And as ever, we are live streaming on YouTube, Facebook and Twitter. We want to hear from you, what you were seeing on your doorstep this weekend, what you're hearing when you're out and about. And with the news that Spain is beginning to lift its lockdown, tell us where we should be going next and exactly how is that all going to work. 0344 You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course talk radio mid-morning with Mike Graham talk radio So a whole series of news stories to discuss. Uh, I couldn't believe, first of all, how busy London streets were on Friday, where it was good Friday, it was a holiday. I couldn't believe how quiet the traffic was coming into work because basically if people who are working are supposed to be essential workers, how come they're not working on a bank holiday? It would appear a lot of people are not working today either because it is also a bank holiday. Because the weather's not so nice, not so many people are out and about. I've never seen so many joggers in my life on Saturday. I've never seen so many cyclists in my life as I did on Saturday. And I'm afraid that if people do not get the idea that social distancing is not just um, a request but in fact uh, a necessity and an instruction then this is going to go on for an awful lot longer uh, than you would think it should do let's talk to dr lawrence girlis who is of course uh, london gp at same day dr lawrence a very good morning to you welcome good good morning Mike. how are you yeah i'm okay how are you doing good. yeah i'm fine thank you yeah good man i was uh, slightly uh, distressed i'd have to say on saturday which is my one sort of shopping day of the week i go to borough market uh, and pick up some stuff for the rest of the week. And I saw um, one of the stallholders there who said on Good Friday, Borough Market was almost as busy as, as it ever was. Um, you know, on Saturday morning when I go, there's hardly anybody there. But it was very busy, he said, on Friday. And not not one person who was inside the place was practising social distancing. Yeah, it's
4: very worrying. And it's uh, a lot of young people who think they're immune. They're clearly not. Right. Um, people in denial there's still an attitude going around i've heard people people say to me oh you know people die of flu every year these numbers are are horrific but people die every day that's not the case this is a very nasty virus as we know um it's highly contagious that's that's got some unusual features it spreads very quickly in droplets in the air yeah it's extremely virulent Uh, it kills people um and it's also a highly resistant virus so it can last for 72 hours in droplets on plastic surfaces and that those are three features that combine to make this a perfect storm of a very nasty virus so anyone that's ignoring that
3: is putting their own lives at risk, but more importantly, the lives of others as well. Yes, exactly right. But also, what is this thing that we seem to have? I mean, I saw a video at the weekend of one of my listeners who lives in one of the, the Balearic Islands, I think in Spain, um, basically uh, said, this is what a lockdown looks like. And he's panning around the streets of a very busy, uh, what you would call a sort of tourist spot, if you like. And there's literally nobody out. No one. Not a person, yeah. not a dog, yeah. not a cyclist, not a jogger, nothing. I mean, that's what we need, isn't it? Well, it,
4: possibly. I mean, if if this goes on, I mean, I'm I'm hoping the numbers are coming down and we are seeing a flattening of the curve. But if we don't, we're going to excuse me. <laughs> I'm okay. If we don't, we're going to have to tighten up on the restrictions because people aren't taking it seriously. The number yeah. of people are still having barbecues, still having house parties, still going around to friends to visit their homes. It's horrible, Mike, and and I, I just. Really wish for everyone's sake people just follow it just for another two or three weeks and then we could gradually release the lockdown, yes, because I think sometime
0: in May,
3: yes, because I think that with places like Spain starting to move towards a lifting of something, and it would appear that they're going to do construction workers first. Um, if people can see that there maybe there is an end in sight, perhaps they will behave better. Possibly.
4: The other worrying thing is if, if the message goes out that there's a partial lifting for lockdown, say for schools or construction workers, the worry then is that people will just see that, oh, it's all over and they'll behave even worse rather than better. That's my concern. Right. And I'm sure the government have factored that in any message that somehow we're winning and people would just misbehave even more. That's that's my concern.
1: Right.
3: And what about some other developments that we've seen over the last few days? In South Korea, for example, there's talk of um, people who they thought had tested positive and had then got over the virus now testing positive again. There seems to be some doubt about how that's happened. It could be that they were testing uh, in some way incorrectly uh, because they don't think they've got the virus again. They think it's just kind of reappeared.
4: Yeah, we've actually started doing some antibody tests, and a few things are coming out. Some people are slow to produce antibodies. We've got one of our doctors who definitely clinically had the virus, but she hasn't got any antibodies. Now, the question is, can she catch it again because she's got no immunity? Um, There's a lot we don't know about this virus. There's a lot we don't know about the immune response. And the other worrying thing is, if that's the case, we don't even know that a vaccine would work because... Maybe not everyone's going to develop immunity to the vaccine, and maybe even if you produce antibodies, you can still catch the virus again. Yeah. So this is we're learning all the time. I'm I'm getting a much better handle on it. I'm actually a bit more confident. I think most people will eventually produce antibodies, but for some reason they produce them very slowly, and that's what we're seeing in our testing.
3: Yes. I mean, there's no doubt that as this goes on, we should feel more confident, you know, rather than less confident, even though there's still a lot that we don't know. But what I'm slightly puzzled by is if what you've just said is is true, uh, i.e. that some people may still have to um, be infected more than once, how do, how do you manage or how do you stage manage the lifting of the, uh, of the restrictions in a place like Spain?
4: Yeah, it's, it's very difficult. I mean, this is, this is a question of hoping for a bit of herd immunity. Yes. If, if 30 to 50 percent of the population can have some immunity, that will stop the spread of the virus. And that was the hope several weeks ago when we thought this was no worse than flu. Yeah. And that you, could, you could get it without symptoms and maybe you'd be immune without knowing it. That was the hope. Now, that seems not to be the case. Most of the people we're finding who have had the the virus know they've had it. Uh, We're we're detecting very few people who've had mild symptoms and and then develop antibodies. But I I do think that we're learning about this new plasma treatment. We're looking at drugs like hydroxychloroquine uh, in combination with other medications. So we are looking at treatments there will be a vaccine i hope it's you know in in the autumn rather than next year yeah um and hopefully that vaccine has has some effect in producing antibodies and protecting us so we're learning more all the time um and i'm I'm generally optimistic i'm just looking at the figures every day um and what's worrying is i didn't think we'd be as bad as italy but i think we are
3: Yes, and some are saying we may end up being the worst uh, country in Europe, but I was looking at some other uh, statistics from Statista.com at the weekend, which is about deaths per million, right? Um, And we're not brilliant, it has to be said, but we're not as bad as Spain or Italy or Belgium or France or the Netherlands or Switzerland. Yeah, I was looking at that as well. Netherlands have done particularly
4: badly, actually, and that's that's interesting. Um, I think they took a fairly relaxed view at the beginning, a very liberal society, much like ours. And I think that's probably the issue there. Yes. Um, but you're right. I saw those figures and we're not doing that badly. It's just the numbers. <clears throat> the numbers are horrific, Mike. Yeah. You know, seven, eight 800, 900 a day. It's too many. We've got to see yeah. that coming
3: down. And coming why, down why, why are we being affected so badly? Is, is, I mean, can you put your finger on why that is? I think we're a crowded country. Mm. London's a big city.
4: Um, you, you think of uh, other countries, you know, everyone's telling us that Sweden's doing very well, but it's it's much less crowded than we are. Yes. And I think, I think that's really one of the issues. We are we live in close communities. I was traveling on the tube until recently. Yeah. Um, and I think that is a factor. We're a social society. I think, the, you know, Spain and Italy have cafe societies. We have a, a pub culture. Yeah. So we're, we're very social. Young people go out seven nights a week, you know, they don't, They don't uh, just go out on a Friday night anymore. Um, And I think those are the factors. And
3: the other thing is, for people who don't go out, which is what we're still seeing up and down the country, there's an awful lot of sort of house parties going on. Yeah,
4: Yeah, we're sociable. We go around to friends. We go around to families. um, And uh, that's where Easter has been a bit of a challenge. But I think, by and large, people have treated Easter well. I think the Prime Minister's illness shocked a lot of people into behaving a bit better. Um, what I'm hoping is they don't take the view now. Well, he's got over it. So that's OK. Um, so I am worried about relaxing the lockdown because I think people would just say, right, that's it. I've done my four weeks. Yeah, uh, I'll go back to what I was doing before.
3: Mm. But in terms of, for example, lifting the, uh, the ban on construction workers, which is, I believe, what they're are going to attempt to do in Spain or in parts of Spain, Does that really work? Because if they do that, presumably there will be suppliers who will then be activated from other parts of the country or from, you know, neighbouring communities, you know, so that that suddenly by just opening one door, if you like, it opens a lot lot more similar doors.
4: Well, I think all of these things have unintended consequences. You think about, are you going to open some of the shops? Which shops? Um, Are the shops going to have social distancing rules Mm. in the way the supermarkets have at the moment?
3: Yeah. Um, well, I mean, some people have been saying this, that, you know, you're worrying about the uh, people who are going into parks and you're worrying about people who are, you know, jogging and cycling and, and, and all of that. But and yet people are still going into supermarkets and walking quite yeah. close to one another while they're in there. Yeah, and close. space I mean, I've stopped going to supermarkets, quite frankly.
4: Yeah, yeah I have as well. Uh, I think closed spaces are actually more worrying. Yeah. I, I feel more at risk going to a supermarket than going to work and seeing patients, quite yes, frankly. really. Um, uh, you know, standing in a queue, uh, there's other people. And we know that if someone's in a room and they breathe out this virus, that virus hangs around in droplets for three hours yeah. after they've left the room. Right. I mean, for heaven's sake, you know, th- that's really worrying. Mm. Um, and, we so don't,
3: I- and we don't yet know, really, do we, how long this kind of incubation period might be. For example, if I was in, in contact with somebody who had it uh, back at the beginning of March, but I still haven't had a problem up to now, it doesn't mean I won't have a problem in the next two weeks or, or month, maybe.
4: I, th- I think that's unlikely. We're looking from the cases I've seen, five, six days, uh, maybe up to maximum of 14 days as an okay. incubation period. Right. Um, but yes, that's quite a long time. Um, and it, it, it means that... You won't know for a while. And in the meantime, you could be contagious and passing it on to other people. But I think you're OK from the beginning of March uh, to now, Mike. Yeah. So you just you've just got to be careful.
3: Yes, absolutely. And I, I can't understand people who are not careful, you know, who just don't seem to understand that this is what you should do. When I was in Borough Market on Friday, on Saturday, uh, I, was, I was in this particular stall where they make a very nice saucy salt sec, I must say, uh, and some cheese. And as I'm standing talking to the guy and about to pay, a woman came in and was about to brush past me to go and get something. And he said yeah. to her, excuse me, madam, you know, yeah. it's one person at a time. It's a very clear yeah. sign outside the shop. And she looked at him as if he'd just stolen her handbag. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's and, and this is what he said to me about Borough Market, and he, he was the same guy who said to me, you know, on Friday, people were just, you know, whole families were coming in. I was asking them, yeah. please, to just come in one at a time? Yeah. They were like, but we're all one family. It's fine. And it's like, well, it's not fine. Yeah. No,
1: look, I,
3: I mean, the other thing is I'm
4: wearing a mask now. I mean, look, right. there's been a lot of... A lot of stuff said about masks, do they work, don't they? I feel much more comfortable wearing a mask. We know the virus lives in droplets that people cough out. Um, I don't want to be coughing onto other people, and I yes. don't want other people coughing droplets onto me. Um, and
3: the good thing but, about a mask is that it dilutes, if you are going to become infected by an outpouring of it, if the, the mask will dilute that amount, won't it? which we know is better. Hey,
4: yeah. you get a lower viral yeah. load, and there does seem to be some evidence, the initial viral load correlates with the severity of the illness as things get get worse so uh, now we 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 have made mistakes about masks i mean masks are simple and cheap to make we should have been making millions of them a month ago and everyone should have access to not just the people in the hospitals but i think the population should wear masks and i would say we should re- release the lockdown if people can go out wearing masks. But probably the answer to that is, well, we can't get hold of the masks.
3: Right. Yeah, I mean, apparently Spain is, is, is producing something like 10 million masks to give to yeah. people uh, as they try and lift the lockdown slightly. So, I mean, what are you making of this whole argument about PPE? Because people are getting their knickers in a right old twist about it, you know, because it would seem as though, you know, there are shortages in areas and there are some problems with supply and demand in some places. But by and large, most of, certainly all the ICU units have got proper materials as we learned over the weekend and I just would would hope and wish that some some organizations like the BMA and the Royal College of Nursing would not try and sort of push this narrative that it's all a shambles and the government is hasn't got a clue what it's doing
4: well the BMA is a trade union and they're just that's their job to act on behalf of their members people often think the BMA is a learned body that's making medical
1: pronouncements
4: but it's basically a trade union yeah right they're just doing their job I think there were problems um, I think those problems were severe in some places. Uh, they seem to me largely have been solved. Yeah. But I, I, I do think that we, ha- we missed a trick. I mean, I know antibody testing, throat swab testing is one thing, but producing millions of masks, that should have been easy, and we should have been doing that right at the beginning of this. And I'm, I'm not aware. You hear stories about ventilators being made by, by Hoover manufacturers, yeah. or Dyson or whatever, But I I just want to see more masks being made and being made available. I went into my local pharmacy and they quoted me two pounds, two pounds for a a mask that probably costs about three pence uh, to make. And that's disgraceful. Masks should be available to everyone in small quantities, free of charge. So we go out and about, and that would help the lockdown. I'm sure that would make a difference.
3: Yeah, absolutely right. And what do you make of the Holby City connection? I don't know if you saw this story at the uh, yeah. end of last week. I mean, what the hell is the BBC well, doing they, with real they, ventilators, they, right? And, and if they did have them, why did they wait for three and a half weeks to hand them over? I think they probably didn't realise. I think someone probably woke up in the But that's amazing, it. isn't it? I, mean, I, I don't know, know how, much, how much does a ventilator cost? And, and, and why can't the props people...
4: Make a fake ventilator, yeah. You know, for use on home. No, they had real ventilators, there. Horri- horrific, really, isn't it? I they?
3: mean, I mean, Miami Vice managed to make a fake Lamborghini count and put it on the body of a, of a yeah. Pontiac Firebird. You yeah. know, surely they don't need a real ventilator, no, but clearly they had, and at least they've <laughs> they've donated them. But I'm unbelievable. Looking-
4: the next
3: Holby story when someone comes in they're not going to get a ventilator now maybe they'll just let them <laughs> let them die on Holby's well maybe so unbelievable incredible Dr Lawrence Berlis thank you very much indeed good luck uh, when continued good luck and continued success and continued good health uh, is what we can say to everybody that we talk to today 0344 499 don't forget we need your eyes and ears please because I want to know what's going on out there how are the police getting along how are you getting along with the police how are you getting along with uh, being cooped up uh, over Easter weekend it's not such a nice day today so i imagine the streets will be a little bit quieter but my goodness me it was absolutely rammed in london on friday and one of the reasons as dr lawrence girl has just said there why britain is doing uh, probably slightly worse than uh, some other countries in terms of the large numbers is it's a very overcrowded country i think we know that don't we
0: it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up
5: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash
3: Mid morning with Mike Graham. Talk radio. Without further ado, let us welcome Mr. Peter Hitchens back into the Independent Republic. Peter, very good morning to you.
6: A very good morning to you, too, and and a a blessed Easter to you.
3: Well, indeed, it's been quite a strange Easter, hasn't it? uh, so strange. But, you know, Boris Johnson being resurrected on, on Sunday, I suppose, was entirely in keeping with the narrative at the moment.
6: Uh, I think, actually, in so many ways. Uh, I, I don't think I'll join in that particular form <laughs> of if you forgive
3: me. <laughs> no, fair enough.
6: Let's, uh, mean, we're all pleased. That yes, we are. I is, think, is I, think so. I think I'd say that for certain, and uh, I'm, I, I'm very pleased that, uh, that he is recovering. And, uh, and, of course, all our sympathies go to those families and individuals which have been affected uh, by disease at what would otherwise be a a hopeful time.
3: Absolutely right. Let's see whether we can start with with a question by me to you um, about things that may have changed since we spoke last Monday. Um, You were particularly um, talking about um, various countries that have performed better than we had. We're seeing in Sweden now perhaps a little bit of a a tighter situation happening. We're seeing in South Korea uh, that things may not always be as they seem. I shall say to you now that i made a mistake by saying to you that the death rate in Japan was very high, which it isn't. Um, So I got that wrong. However, it may become higher than it currently is. Um, And it also looks as though in Spain, the lockdown may be beginning to be lifted. So what are your observations from the past few days?
6: Well, I continue to say what I said from the start, which is that there is no evidence at all uh, that these economic shutdowns and attacks on personal liberty actually reduced the incidence of death from COVID-19. Uh, there's a very interesting piece, in, in fact, uh, which anyone can can study uh, on on the on the on the web today uh, by Yinon Weiss, which uh, which I don't. Know, the you can those with great mathematical skills may disagree with it, but it it certainly posits the fact that you can't find any correlation. Uh, particularly in the United States, which you studied in detail, uh, between the onset of shutdowns and the death rates in the various states involved. And uh, a similar similar attempt to to correlate it with school closures doesn't work either. And this is what I've said from the start, that the presumption that's made in this debate by those in favour of the shutdown is that the shutdown will save lives, and therefore those who oppose it are callous about human life, and it, this isn't so. It's, it is a presumption. And again, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a second fascinating article by Professor John Lee in The, in the Spectator uh, under the title of Understanding COVID Needs Open Minds and Vigorous Debate, in which he also attacks this presumption uh, that, the, that the shutdown will, le- will lead to fewer deaths. We simply don't have any information from any of these countries to suggest that, 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 that it is in itself effective. Uh, I would say that uh, if uh, looking at Sweden, the last figures uh, from Sweden before the the Easter break really got underway were that 17 had died, I've urged caution on those figures because at at, at holiday times the collection of of such figures is always difficult, so let's wait and see. But what certainly doesn't seem to have happened in Sweden so far, and one must add so far to anything one says, is the huge number of deaths which would have been produced if one had been using the Imperial College model. Uh, absolutely nothing remotely resembling it. So I, I think that we are in, in a position where, at the moment, all the governments in Europe are beginning to wonder whether they got this right. And I think what many people need to read is the fascinating article in the Daily Telegraph last uh, Friday, I think, by uh, by Fraser Nelson, the editor the Spectator, which plainly came as a result of some extremely high-level briefings in which he made it clear that the government was deeply split about what to do next and had been astonished uh, by just how uh, effective its appeal to the public had been and has, in a way, created a monster. Mm. Uh, that is to say we have an immensely well-intentioned and, and self-disciplined public in this country who, having been persuaded by the government of this great peril, has behaved with extraordinary uh, self-control. Over the past three weeks, and has also accepted, without question, the, an economic shutdown which is is costing uh, the the equivalent of uh, two point four billion pounds a day. That's six modern new general hospitals a day, yes, uh, if you like to put it that way, right. uh, accepting that. and the government is, is increasingly doubtful as to whether it's actually done the right thing, but it's created such strong public support for the action. But it's very difficult for them to now climb down. And, well, right. But you note that in Italy, which has been where it's been suggested that the shutdown has been a rational response and that it's, uh, and it's been very serious. That in Italy and in Spain, uh, the governments are again beginning to grope for ways uh, to, to to at least sidle out of the of the position into which they've got themselves because of the colossal economic uh, and social damage.
3: Yes. Can I, just, can I just pop in there? No,
6: that's where I was going to stop. So, oh, I, so we did so We that's, did that's actually... My, that's my main statement. After uh, that, let's just keep it a brief exchange. Yes, brief exchange.
3: absolutely. Here's a couple of things that I would say about that. I was talking to a doctor this morning, um, and I asked him, why is it, do you think, that Britain's, Britain's death rate is as high as it is? Because it is unusually high compared to other countries. He said he believes it's because of uh, the fact that Britain is quite a crowded country compared to a place like Sweden, where there are fewer people around. And he also said... Um, as Boris Johnson did when he left hospital yesterday, that, you know, staying away from each other, social distancing is the way to stop this virus from spreading so quickly that it overwhelms the NHS. And that's basically why they're doing it. And they say that people can go out, but they cannot crowd around each other. They cannot have mass meetings. They cannot go to football matches, all that sort of thing. But I just also I, he also said that what we now know is that if somebody sneezes with this virus, it can literally hang in the air for three hours, you know. So... The only seemingly straight answer for me to get past this is to have a long enough period of time where people are literally not going about their daily business and they are only going outside for essential work and and essential, you know, food shopping and that kind of thing. Because if we don't do that, I think it will never stop spreading.
6: Well, can I offer some counter to all those points? Yeah. First of all, in Sweden, uh, yes, of course, if you simply take population versus square mileage, uh, it's not as crowded as Britain, but uh, friends of mine who live in Sweden will point out that it is a very urbanised country, mm-hmm. and that certainly in, in, in Stockholm particularly, uh, the density of population is quite comparable to that in London. Uh, so I don't think that argument particularly works. On the overstretching of the NHS, uh, it's very interesting. Again, I've, I've, I've tried to get information from people I know who work in the NHS, and what they say is that what's happened now is that so much of the NHS estate has been turned over to to effectively intensive care uh, provision that almost the whole of the rest of the NHS is not functioning at all. People are not going to hospitals, they're not calling doctors, and many things are not being done. Uh, so I'm not entirely sure uh, what the pressure is on the NHS. One of the consequences of this is that the the normal published statistics. On the usage and pressure on on intensive care and not being published, uh, I think uh, there is a, a reasonable, unsinister reason for this, which is, as I say, it simply isn't comparable because of the huge amount of emergency intensive care provision which has now been set up. So they wouldn't really mean very much. Mm. But I think that if we did have uh, or could have any measure of what was going on. I'm not sure that this argument that intensive care was under, uh, under uh, colossal, um, uh, un, um, unsustainable pressure would stand up. And then again, we get back to the same old point. There is still no evidence uh, that, the, the, that the shutdown measures are actually affecting the numbers die. The other thing about the, the British, and indeed um, some of the other national figures for, um, for coronavirus deaths, remains at the point originally made, again, by Dr. John Lee. Uh, What are we actually measuring? Are we measuring people who have died from coronavirus, or are we measuring people who have died uh, who, in, who, who have actually been infected yes. with coronavirus, or have been in some cases presumed to be infected mm. with coronavirus, and if we are, then then how reliable are these measures? As far as I've been able to discover, and I'm not a statistical genius, and I fully admit this, trying to find out the number of deaths over and above what they would normally be expected to be at this time of year on a five-year average, it seems to be, uh, as far as I can discover, again about a thousand a week. That's roughly 144 per day. Now, this is obviously tragic in every case, and to be to be mourned and regretted, is all avoidable and indeed unavoidable deaths are, but it's not enormous. It's no, not I get that. The, it's not but, at the stage but this of is the pandemic this is, which we're being told about.
3: Yeah, but this is one of the difficulties, I think, with all of the figures that we're looking at, because none of us are statisticians. The people who are the statisticians are looking at them. Uh, for example, I saw, I don't know whether you did on Twitter, some stats from Statista on the deaths per million Uh, in various countries and in fact um, the UK stands at 92.53 but four countries much worse than that. Five actually: the Netherlands, Switzerland, France, Belgium, and Italy, and Spain are all much worse in deaths per million. But the problem is, I think, Peter, you're right to, to call attention to who is being uh, said to have died of, of coronavirus, because I think every country in the world is doing it a different way. That we're, is true. We're hearing it from South Korea, for example, now that they think that they are uh, the patients who are who are becoming reinfected with coronavirus are not necessarily being reinfected, but they're actually, uh, the virus is just kind of reappearing rather than uh, uh, coming back again. So what's happened there is they think that their testing system was wrong. So it may well be. And you're also right to say, you know, wait and see, because we just can't be sure really, I think is the problem.
6: Well, I think it's the limit of our knowledge is, is, is the limit of our ability to discuss it or make policy. Uh, but I think we have we have to recognize here that the spread of viruses, as, as, as the, the fact which you produced earlier on about the effect of the sneeze, the spread of viruses is, is such an astonishingly potent thing, uh, especially in an advanced urban society, uh, that attempts by the state to control it are much like an attempt by the state to calm the Atlantic Ocean in a storm. We, don't, we simply don't have as, as as much power as we think we do over these things. And so what there is no evidence of is that we've been able to exercise that power. Now in that case uh, we have to look again at the the proportionality of the measures which the government has been undertaking. And I think the government is doing this. Uh, One of the papers, I know that, that Matt Hancock uh, denied this at a, at a government press conference, which baffles me. But one of the things that has been considered at a cabinet committee and, and has been sourced, uh, as, and I've checked this out, uh, to a minister who's seen it, is a suggestion, certainly a projection, and projections as we know are not to be, uh, not to be relied upon as fact, uh, that as many as 150,000 people might die as a result of the, of, the, of the shutdown measures that we've taken. Now, this is an immense number of people. And so, again, I have to stress, this isn't a matter of lives versus money. It is a matter of lives versus lives, that there are different effects on human life from from different policies. And the policy being followed by the government has its dangers to life as well. So in judging whether we should continue that policy or whether we should quietly slip out of it and, and moderate it and bring the economy back to life before too much damage is done, I think we need to consider that point.
3: Yes, I think that's absolutely true. But as far as the kind of uh, the next step is concerned, you know, would you feel perhaps slightly more encouraged by the fact that other countries are beginning to look at lifting uh, the restrictions? Because if we can see an end game, and we can see perhaps if eleven weeks is the given amount of time that this takes to get through the system, which is what we're supposed to have learned from China, but as we both agreed last week, we don't really know if we can we can believe China. Um, but say it is eleven weeks, and say the Spanish uh, lift their uh, their their lockdown, but say. The Danish lift theirs, other countries start to do the same thing. There will be something sort of, you know, almost sort of evidential
6: that we can learn. Well, I'm not sure uh, about that. I would certainly, I, it's not for me to do anything which might discourage the government uh, from beginning to moderate these measures because I fear greatly for, as I, we discussed last week again, for the small businesses. Uh, for the people losing their jobs, for the people facing wage cuts, and for the, the very many damaging things which people face when we do eventually return to something like normal mm. in terms of higher taxes, lower standards of living and everything else, which I think are very much coming our way and will be worse so long as this goes on. And I, I w- would not want to, to shout and scream, oh, you're in retreat at the government, mm. because it, I, I would very much like them to retreat and I would like to give them an honourable way out of what seems to me to be a mistake. But in return, I would not want anybody... Uh, to, to start claiming that the measures have actually been the cause of the eventual decline in coronavirus infections, which I think uh, we will see, uh, because, as, as I say, there is no evidence of this. And I return to my metaphor that the patient goes to the doctor with chickenpox. The doctor says, if I cut off your right leg, uh, then it will go away he cuts off his right leg, the chicken box goes away, the doctor says, there you see, I was right. But in fact, there's no connection between cutting off of the leg and the chicken box going away. Uh, But I don't want, I will not do anything to to discourage the government by by any kind of saying, look, they've they've made a mistake, look, silly fools, Yes. uh, to prevent the the shutdown from being moderated, because I wish to see it moderated. But Uh, but on the other hand, I do not think that at at the end of it, without any uh, cause or, or even correlative evidence that the government or anybody else should claim that the shutdown has, has, has led to the yes. decline in coronavirus but, but, infections.
3: But, but as I said to you last week, I don't believe that the reasoning for the shutdown is to prevent death that is going to happen when people get the disease. Well, it's there to do, and what other countries have said it's there to do, is to try and relieve any pressure that might overwhelm the the NHS And that appears to have been successful up to now, because we get reports now from around the country that that the NHS is coping, it is under pressure, but it is actually coping. And what we can say uh, is that therefore, uh, if people were dying simply because there wasn't enough equipment for them to actually, you know, be given, for example, oxygen or ventilators, because there were just too many of them, then it has worked.
6: Well, I don't agree, because it's the same argument, really. The argument as to whether the shutdown prevents infection is the same as the argument about whether it prevents death. Uh, is, does the shutdown in itself hamper or, or inhibit or slow or stop the spread of infection of COVID-19? I don't think there's any evidence this is so. And until there is, I don't think anybody should claim that these actions have have caused whatever may now happen. Of course, we don't know what uh, viruses operate very strangely and they're affected sure. by the kinds of things, including changes in the weather, for instance. Uh, so we don't know what will happen next. But I, I simply don't think people should claim uh, that they have done something when they have no evidence they've done so. Uh, no, if, sure. If, if, these, if these infections are reducing and if deaths are reducing, then let us all rejoice enormously because that is good for everybody. But let us not uh, make claims that can't okay. substantiated. Now, a
3: lot of the people that have enjoyed our little jousts on Twitter and on here as well, uh, and again, I thank you, Peter, for doing it, and I think we should do it again next Monday, by the way.
6: Um, I think I'd be delighted to
3: do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, we've, we've found a way of talking to each other without interrupting as well, which is which I'm very happy about. Um, here's the thing. Um... If, for example, the question that a lot of people have asked me over the course of the weekend is, please ask Peter Hitchens what he would have done differently to what this government has done. Um, because what you seem to be suggesting is that if you had, if you, if you had not locked down the economy and allowed the economy to continue, that would have been an improvement. But it could have cost a lot more lives, surely.
6: Well, it could have done, but as I say, there's no evidence that it could have done, and, and that is why I continue to say that I would follow the Swedish example, that is, say, of taking. Of of modest practical measures without shutting down the entire economy and without forcing people into isolation. Uh, If you look at what's happened in Sweden, they have not done nothing by any manner of means. So for instance, the senior members of the royal family are in social isolation. Uh, And if you go to a bar in in Sweden, you can't go up to the bar. You have to wait to be served at the table. And and people are, uh, in many cases, staying well clear of each other. Uh, but it's not been done in the, in the same, uh, how shall I put it, very s- stringent uh, mm. here. I don't think there would be any scenes of policemen banging down people's doors or, 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 or telling them not to go for walks in the country or whatever it is that we've had here. Uh, it's been a good deal more level-headed. Yes. And the, although the Swedish economy has, as all economies are at the moment, I, I would add, although the Swedish economy has undoubtedly undergone a reduction in activity, uh, it's nothing like as much. Uh, as, the, uh, as the reduction no the, the enormous, but but they the are almost public spending but but they uh, are very well, money much we don't have which we're engaging on here
3: no but they are very much out on their own there aren't they because they're one of the maybe one of a handful of countries that have that have done that very few countries have done that well, in I, fact I, in I South, South Korea they're the, now they're now in South Korea attaching wristbands to people to make sure that they adhere to the quarantine that they're in
6: well I, 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 I I'll I, I, don't, I don't know particularly. I haven't looked very much at South Korea lately because its its problems, to a great extent, by compare, comparison with us, are have been in the past up till now. There may be something in the future. One doesn't know. I know a bit about Sweden. I know a bit about the Netherlands. Uh, both kind of both countries in which. Uh, The the direction taken by Britain had not been taken. Of course, one knows a bit about Japan as well, where there's been a a noisy adoption of a supposed state of emergency, which doesn't actually have any particularly stringent provisions attached to it. But the Netherlands. Let's say, I think now that we have. I last week when we spoke, um, and I'm very grateful to you, by the way, for, for, for correcting what you said last yes. week, because it's, it, 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 it's, it's really good when people admit... I
3: wanted
1: you to, say, do, you know, I wanted the, to point, do... What,
6: what we had at that, 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 that time was that 99 people had died. Yeah. So 85 people had died yes. in Japan, out of a population of 127 million. It's now 135. Yeah. And these figures you know, do not suggest that, there is, again, there is any connection between a stringent policy and a, a lower number of deaths. That's true. We, however... We have, we, have, we have to face this.
3: Yes, but however, on, on Wednesday, after we spoke on Monday, they put mu- much of the cities of, of Japan under emergency measures and, and declared a state of emergency. Well, and, as I say, that
6: state of emergency is, is, is largely symbolic and empty. The actual, the actual provisions of it are extremely weak.
3: Well, they're not extremely weak, but what I'm saying is they've recognised they've recognised that something has to change. But in terms of the Netherlands, right? I said to you earlier that our deaths per million ratio is 92.53. The Netherlands is 121.93. So there's so I think more. You'll
6: find that the, 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 the Belgium next door is, is quite similar. It's even worse. But, but the thing the thing about Belgium is that Belgium has had a very stringent shutdown, whereas Netherlands hasn't.
3: I think there must so be you, something
6: you say, well, in the... In is that, that's causing these differences, mm. it's not the stringency of the shutdown, and that's, that that remains my... It, consistent point. Okay. There's no evidence that, sh- that shutdown does any good. Uh, there's a great deal of evidence that it costs a huge amount and damages greatly the, the economies involved. Uh, and again, I come back to my original argument from the very start. Have our actions been in proportion to the danger and have they been rational? I say not in, the, in the answer to your, to, your, to your listeners' questions, I would have followed the Swedish position. And I think the Swedish position has been wise. I think it's the Swedish position which has been normal. It's been all the other governments in the world which have, which have taken measures unprecedented in human history. I mean, never before have we, have we imposed uh, quarantine on the healthy no. Even during the, the, the great but, uh, so-called Spanish influenza of 1918, the quarantining was done on the on the, on the ill, not on the healthy.
3: Yes, but the quarantining in 1918 was a very different kettle of fish, surely, I because, disagree. because nowadays... It's a
6: different, a different principle. Right. Quarantining the healthy is a different principle from quarantining the sick.
3: Yes. No, I agree with that, but the point is, is that we have a very different world now. I mean, one thing we've learned is that the, the pandemic spread of this disease was done entirely and some people have made this argument over the weekend because of the, the cheap cost of flying around the world. And so, so many people from China were in all sorts of other parts of the world spreading the disease, that that could probably never have happened um, in, in sort of, you know, a century ago.
1: But well, what, but was ne-
6: then, what was happening then was, was the uh, very large numbers of people, particularly in the United States, were coming back from the European war. Mm. And so a lot of the figures that we have on the spread of, of, of influenza in 1918 come from that. And, of course, there is an argument that they largely affect those um, cities on the East Coast which which first felt the uh, arrival of the returning soldiers. In those days, people didn't fly back. Yeah. From Europe to to San Francisco they took the ship back to the East Coast and then they then they took trains back across the country so a lot of the the, the interesting figures which are produced for that year reflect that as much mm. as anything else sure
3: now we didn't want to take a break while we were talking so so we've left that until the end I'm afraid so I'm just been told that we we're, we're pretty much out of time um, but I think this has been very helpful I think it's been uh, educational I hope that you've enjoyed it um, and I think the point is Peter that we don't know enough yet to be able to know whether this shut down was a good idea or a bad idea, but I'd still rather be safe than sorry, as I said to you last week.
6: Yes, but as I said to you last week, uh, what are you safe from? The, the economic damage of, 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 of shutting down an economy, destroying so many jobs and small businesses and of spending so much money we haven't got is a huge threat. To human well-being and health—we're not safe. This isn't this isn't a safe policy which we're following. Okay,
3: well, thank you again. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. Peter Hitchens uh, there, talking from uh, his position on the lockdown. He doesn't think it's a good idea. Uh, he still doesn't think it's a good idea. But some things have changed. Some things will change. We'll talk to him some more uh, a week from now. This is Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's talk to Callin. I think it is in
5: Edinburgh. Callin. Hello, hey Mike. How's it going? Yeah, very well, sir. What can I do for you? Okay, so I wanted to pick up on two points. One of them was a good point that you made, I think it was about half an hour ago.
1: Yeah.
5: You, you were talking about the amount of people on the island and, like, the proximity... Yes. ...at which that spreads the virus. Mm. And I was also wanting to talk about the like the possible app that would be introduced and how they, in, how they like, yes. interlock with each other.
3: Right. Okay.
5: Go ahead. Okay, so, first of all, you've got a lot of conservatives in the UK who are really worried about this app like they say oh it's orwellian it's all big and scary because they're going to track all of our data but those very same people are more than happy for the government to be demographically replacing them in their own homelands and what you'll find is this actually interlocks with the point of proximity because we have too many people on this island already
3: well, we have We've too many people in parts of it. I think there's certainly no question that yeah. London is very overcrowded. I mean, where you are in Scotland, there's huge, vast spaces where nobody lives.
5: Hmm. I mean, we're quite lucky up here, but our cities, like if you look at any former English city, like London, Birmingham, or Manchester, or, or even you could say like Edinburgh, to be honest, that's actually not turning into a Scottish city anymore. You'll find this has huge problems when it comes to a lot of Europeans like, in viruses. Aren't they? Yeah. Um, to be honest, like, yeah, there's a lot of European, but ethnically British people are becoming a minor, um, uh, minority in the Scottish capital.
3: Oh, yeah? Where's your, where's your evidence for that?
5: Well, you can see it if you walk around. Like, there's less British people, you know? How do you there's mean? There's less social trust. Like, people don't trust each other anymore.
3: How do you mean less and British people? I used to live in Edinburgh. I used to work there. Mm-hmm. Well... You're talking rubbish, mate.
5: No, no, no. Like, there is reason for this. If you go to Edinburgh... If you went to Edinburgh 50 years ago, you would see lots of Scottish people and there'd be a sense of community. People would look out for each other. Did you go
3: there but 50 years
5: ago? Nowadays. No, but my. So how dancer, do you know that family, then? I've seen photos of Edinburgh. Oh, like right. 50, You've seen pictures. Good man. Yeah. Pictures of Edinburgh. Yeah, yeah, you I, can tell I, from pictures, pictures how friendly yeah. people
3: are. You want a complete well, you, you moron. Like, get off the Edinburgh's radio, Called. Get off. Get, ra- get rid of that idiot. Mid morning. With Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. I'm delighted to say that we have now reached the point in the show when we do the homeschooling because it's hard to forget uh, that we are still dealing with this lockdown. We have still got lots of parents at home looking after their children, trying to teach them the ways of the world, trying to be teachers as well as parents, which is quite difficult to do if you're not really trained to do that. And I'm very happy to say uh, we're going to speak now to James Max, Talk Radio's business breakfast host and of course a man that knows an awful lot about the business of business. James, a very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon to you, Mike. How are you faring, Mr Max?
2: Well, I'm faring pretty well, although uh, the weather certainly took a turn this morning. My isolation walk was uh, a very blustery affair. This <laughs> it was
3: morning. very windy this morning, and it dropped about fifteen very, very degrees. Windy, yes. Very windy indeed. Now, I thought to myself, "Now you're the guy who's already given us a marvelous lesson in gardening and what people can do." Um, so much so that my own son has cleared a whole entire section of our garden, which was previously kind of an old sort of chicken coop, which was just languishing away. Um, And he's now going to plant a lot of stuff in there. So so thank you for that. Um, Fantastic
2: pleasure. Any time. Yeah.
3: And now I'm 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 going to impose upon you one more time because of the markets uh, situation, because what I thought people would like to hear about is how the markets actually work, not so much how they're doing. But, you know, I've had conversations for the past few weeks, obviously, about markets in all kinds of different ways. And I wondered about the efficacy of keeping them open. But actually, I find it strangely kind of calming and reassuring that they are still working, that they are still going.
2: Well, indeed, the thing about the markets is that very often what we do is we talk about the index. We talk about the FTSE 100 or the FTSE 250 or the New York Stock Exchange, the Dow Jones. And we'd say, oh, they've gone up by X number of points. They've gone down by X number of points. But in fact, all of that is really quite meaningless because Mm. each index is made up of a constituent part. So funnily enough, the FTSE 100 is made up of a hundred different companies. And in fact, those companies change every so often because it's the hundred most valuable companies which are listed on the London Stock Exchange. And what we see is that over a period of time, those uh, companies will individually go up and down in value depending on how they're doing, demand and supply. And then that index is looked at as to whether it's representative of the biggest hundred companies, which are then listed on the on the stock exchange, because many more are listed in other indices because they're not quite as big. So they're all fighting to get into that top league. It's a little bit like uh, the Premier League in football. Everybody's fighting to get in there right. because we have now entered an era when a lot of trading is done automatically and you might think hang on a second how can you trade automatic this is bonkers Mm. Uh, and to an extent it is a bit but there's so much money which is looking to get in there and a lot of that money by the way belongs to you and it belongs to me and it belongs to all of us either directly or indirectly right so for example all of that money that's going into the market a lot of it is made up of pension funds. so if you've got a pension it won't be just sat there in money that money that you have set aside for your pension has to go into something and some of it will go into uh, what's known as equities, i.e. these stocks and shares of the biggest companies. So some of those companies you will know uh, and you'll recognise and some of them, quite frankly, you won't have a clue, you've never heard (laughs) of them, Uh, but it it doesn't matter because then what happens is that there is an allocation. So for example, you can buy an index. So very often what pension funds will do, and the reason why this automatic trading happens is because The automatic trading says, match the market, follow the market, do whatever the market says it's doing. So whatever percentages are made up by the values of all of these different companies, your little index must match the performance of that. And so algorithms, these computer programs, then follow them, which is why we have this automatic trading, which is why when the market moves, Very substantially, it's normally because computers have put sell commands on certain things because they have a new piece of data. So all I'm saying is that these markets are highly automated. And yes, of course, as an individual, you can either try and break the market, you can try and do your own thing, you can try and trade differently. But a huge amount of trading is done automatically and on our behalf. So just coming back to that because it's so important to understand why it matters to you and to me and to all of us why when markets go up and down it affects us is because when we see new pieces of data so it might be an economic piece of data about market growth it might be a new piece of legislation which either encourages or disincentivizes a certain kind of product or for example data on a particular company on how it's doing then suddenly all these algorithms change, and then the market moves. And then if you're in the wrong place, you can catch a, a pretty nasty yeah. cold as a result.
3: Of okay. it. And interestingly enough, a lot of these measures were put in, these automated measures were put in, weren't they, to stop massive falls and massive rises as well. Because when it was the days of the good old Wild West, um, you know, when I was in Fleet Street and Wall Street was, you know, full of people like uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, basically, it was it was a sort of you know um a winner takes it-all type measure i remember reading a great book that my sister recommended to me called the great silver bubble when bunker hunt tried to corner the silver market and ended up losing out to such an extent that he was flying literally jumbo jets full of silver silver um, um over into into europe into amsterdam because he had bought he he'd sold all this stuff and he had to sell it and had to actually deliver it
2: well, this is another uh, thing that you mentioned, two really important aspects about the market. The first thing is that uh, some years ago, back in the uh, early 80s, I think it was, uh, this thing called insider trading, yes. was, it was it was identified and, and then people realised that in fact it wasn't using market information to show how clever you were, it was using market information to recognise that there was going to be a major piece of news and therefore markets would move and people making a position beforehand. That is illegal. You are not allowed to use information that you have which is proprietary Mm. to a company uh, before the market knows it so that's one thing that has gone out Um, we've also seen a a huge amount of trading by shadow markets so people um, borrowing shares in order to have Derivatives which are made off the back of these uh, trades. It's mm. enormously complicated, and I wouldn't recommend that anybody, unless you are um, an, an expert, gets involved in these, but you should know about this trading which goes on because, in fact, away from the markets, there's a huge amount of forward trading, um, people making speculative bids, people making uh, calls, and it is very, very risky. And sometimes there are investors who say, oh, you can make a bundle of cash on this because look how you can chart your returns. You can you can buy these shares and you don't even have to own them. You can own a quarter of them. What they don't tell you is the downside, that if the market moves away from where you think it's mm. supposed to go, uh, you can lose a lot of money. It's a bit like, um, I suppose, gambling uh, when it's sort of really on tilt, because I think When people talk about investing in markets and they talk about the likenesses between gambling, then I get cross, Yes, because it's not. When people talk about derivatives and when they're not an expert in how the market moves, that's akin to gambling, and that's when I think we get ourselves into big trouble. When people move from being a market investor to pretending that they can see where markets are going to move in the future, Yes, that's when you have the real problems.
3: Yes, and funnily enough, one of the things, or two a few of the things that I've learned, I'm sure I've told you about my sister who's been in the financial business all her life, and I still don't really understand it, even though she's explained it to me about a million times. But, you know, things like companies that hedge currency because they trade in all sorts of different countries, they sell their products in different countries, so they will buy sort of dollar futures, if you like, looking ahead to say hoping that that will hedge against the price moving which would affect obviously their exports.
2: Well this is a really important part of the market and in fact there's, there's a very reason why you would do that. So say for example if you are a company that uses international trade all the time, Mm. what you don't want to be exposed to is kind of a double dip into your profits. So of course, if you were to use foreign currency, if you have certainty, then you can book the deal and you can book the deal at a certain price. So what people are saying is that in one month's time, six months time, 12 months time, we want to buy with our British pound a number of US dollars or, or euros or whatever currency it may be and you can buy the price today so you have yeah. absolute certainty now what it means is that the person on the other side who's selling it that to you they will possibly take a, an upside or a downside depending on where the currency is mm. and the markets look ahead but for companies that's that's taking the risk out for you as an investor it's taking the risk on the market Mm. for that period of time. So it's a really important tool that has made the UK one of the most sophisticated markets out there because we have a huge expertise, particularly in foreign exchange, and one other thing that we haven't talked about at all, which is corporate bonds, yes. which is when a company borrows money because it thinks that the market can offer a better rate than just going to a bank. Mm. So a bank will say, yes, of course, uh, Mr. Mr. Chemist, Mr. Manufacturer, Mrs. Uh, Carmaker, whoever it may be, you can borrow money from us. Mm. Here's the deal. And what they do is they say, OK, well, either we can take out a bank loan or alternatively we can issue our own Uh, corporate bonds or own paper we get them priced up and then again the market is taking a risk as to whether or not that company can pay back that money at the end of it and also the higher the interest rate uh, the more likely it is that you as an investor are taking a risk so all of these things if you pair it back what you're really doing whether you're talking about equity which is sort of money in Mm. or debt which is um, trying to sell on uh, the money that you borrow what you're really talking about is you're talking about risk when you're talking about shares you're talking about the risk that a company won't perform as well as it says it's going to and therefore its dividend the, the money that it pays out a little bonus is not going to be what it should be and you're pricing it on that basis and when it comes to debt you're really pricing on the ability for somebody to pay back that money and to pay you the interest that you agree on that debt so it's all about risk and return and trying to analyze that and then come up with a price and that's what the markets are doing they're using their um, the huge bulk of um, transactions to price these different elements of risk in so yes they are forward-looking and to to the rest of us who perhaps if you're not in the market understanding what they're doing is a bit bonkers particularly when there were wild movements
3: yes exactly Normally, right but those they,
2: wild. sorry go on No, it's normally those wild movements that are are showing that the market can't price itself. It doesn't know how to price it, so therefore you have a wide variance of sales. When a market is working really well and people are fairly certain about the future, whether it's good or bad, that's when you get very small movements because people are able to price it in. If they've got no idea what's going to happen, and this is why we've got massive movements uh, at the moment. So, for example, last week the FTSE 100 index, all the shares collectively went up by nearly 3%. Why? Well, no one knows, really. (laughs) Well, that's the
3: great thing about it, isn't it? Fascinating. We could probably explain this away for another three hours, but we've got to run. Uh, James, thank you very much indeed. James Max, Talk Radio's Business Breakfast host, back tomorrow morning, of course, uh, at five o'clock. Money does indeed make the world go round, which is why I'm convinced that now the market should stay open, one. But also, two... That no government around the world here uh, is going to let the economy fall into rack and ruin. It's simply not going to let it happen. Why? Because it can't let it happen. It's as simple as
2: that. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The independent republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio.